Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series looking at the final week of Jesus' life before the cross and it's called Seven Days. Now things are starting to get tricky where in John 15, Jesus says people will hate you because of me. What did Jesus mean when he said that to his followers? Maybe that's already happened to you. More importantly, what can we do to keep our faith strong when we love Jesus but hate being hated? Today is part two of the message called Hostile Environment. And you can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the media page for the series Seven Days as seen at reallife.org. And if you have a Bible nearby, Pastor Sean is teaching from the book of John. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. What's the hatred about? Well, I think Jesus, what we just read, I think he helps us explain that a little bit. And I think it's helpful for us to understand that. If you've been kind of scratching your head going, I don't get it. Well, listen to what Jesus said. Remember what he said? He said, you identify with me? Yeah, that's why. Understand, it's about Jesus, not us. So quit taking it personal. Quit getting a poor self-image. Quit saying, poor me. We shouldn't be surprised. He said, because of me. Our identifying with Christ, our lack of identifying with the world. We don't identify, we identify with Jesus. And the world rejects Jesus. And you're like, well, wait a minute. A lot of people criticize Christians and they use the name of Jesus. Well, Jesus would do this. Jesus would do that. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. I need to tell you something. That is almost always a, a construct, a fabricated Jesus, invented for the purpose of beating on the church beating on followers of Christ. Because let me tell you something I've never experienced. And, you know, talk to me afterwards if you've had a different experience. I've never had someone who's passionately in love with Jesus. They talk about Jesus. They write about Jesus. They're, they're talking about how much they love Jesus. I've never had someone who truly talks a lot about Jesus, who loves Jesus, who's got Jesus all over them. I've never seen that person attack the church. I'm not talking about appropriate self-policing. You know, if we find ourselves in places we're not living up to what Jesus taught us, we should self-police. We should talk to one another and say, hey, guys, this is what Jesus said. We should self-correct. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who look for any newspaper, any magazine, any television network that'll put their face on a screen so that they can rip on the current phrase is evangelical Christians. 15, 20 years ago, it was fundamentalist Christians, Bible-believing Christians, whatever you want to call it. Those Bible thumpers. I've never seen someone who is, I love Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus. I live for Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus said to me in my prayer time. And then who is relentlessly ripping on the followers of Jesus in public. So when someone's throwing the name of Jesus around, chances are they've invented a Jesus that makes their point for them. Because Jesus said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, that you love one another. That doesn't mean you don't speak the truth in love. You don't bring a correction. You don't speak truth to the church. You should. But boy, a person who's a part of the church speaking in love is vastly different than a person who's outside pointing the finger and bringing condemnation. 
Our identity with Christ is why the hatred. Our lack of identity with the world. Spiritual blindness, he says, and and denial. Spiritual blindness and denial. He says, they don't know the Father. They don't know the Father. They don't know where I've come from. They don't know me. That's one thing we need to just kind of relax a little bit on. Why would we expect people who are blind to be able to see? Sometimes our sitting and being all kind of just befuddled and angry and frustrated over people in the world who are, don't get us and who speak poorly of us. Well, it's like asking a blind person to, you know, why can't you see that thing that's right in front of you? Well, they're blind. And in the same way, they don't know the Father, Jesus says. They don't know. They're blindly oppressing. And then the last, and I think this is one of the biggest, is conviction. He said, yeah, if I hadn't come, they wouldn't know they're sinners, but now they can't deny it. They've seen the power of God. They've seen it. And so that's why. Look at what Peter wrote in his epistle, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Great phrase. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I remember reading that. I grew up in the church, and I remember... I remember them saying, you know, when you're, when you're insulted, you're blessed. You should rejoice. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not re- I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the rejoicing. Yes, I was a bad kid. There, there, I said it. I admit it. I, I thought, you know, I can, it's in the Bible. That's cool. Maybe when I'm an adult, maybe when I'm a grown-up, it'll be easier when I'm insulted or if I'm persecuted in some way to rejoice and see how I'm blessed. And let me just tell you, now that I'm a grown-up, it's so much easier. It really is. It's not hard anymore at all. So that's good. It is a challenge. That's why the scripture addressed it. But what's interesting is he said, and this is the main point I want us to get to. He said, you're not alone. He said, you are not alone. He said, and that's why we read that whole passage of scripture. I want you to note the back and forth between the discussion of persecution and the presence. Persecution and the presence. Remember the two names. He said, first of all, when the helper comes and then the spirit of truth. I want you to to note helper is a relational designation. Helper. When the helper, he uses the phrase comforter in other sections of that same kind of talk. It's a relational. In other words, he's there for you. He'll be with you. He'll strengthen you. He'll guide you. He'll comfort you. It's relational. Our faith is first and foremost relational. But spirit of truth, the other label he uses is missional. Because our faith is always missional. There's always a point. Understand, the helper comes and he's there to encourage, guide, comfort, bring peace. The spirit of truth comes and he's there to lead. You know, it's not, well, your truth, my truth. Whose truth are we talking about? The truth, yeah. We got to get over that whole, your truth, my truth. Truth exists regardless of our opinions. We don't need to be people who try to discover our own truth. We need to be people who, who want to align our lives to the truth. That's what leads to good fruit. And he is the spirit of truth. So he comes as the helper to, to comfort, to guide, to bring peace. But he also comes as a spirit of truth to lead and to bring God's kingdom and to restore order to what sin has turned into chaos. We're told about this helper, this spirit of truth. He'll bear witness of Jesus. He'll remind us of Jesus. He'll glorify Jesus. He'll convict the world. Remember, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convicts. That is really good news to us because sometimes I think one of our issues is we think it's our job to convict. And the scripture says he's the one who will convict. This is something very important. The spirit working in us will be convicting. Don't get me wrong. But we sometimes think it is our job to go and look at the world and point the finger and call out every wrong. And let me tell you where that comes from. Just being trained in ministry in the time that I was in America. You know, we think of the church being the moral compass 
of a nation. And I remember reading those phrases, and that was kind of, as pastors, we were to be the moral compass or be part of the moral compass of our community. And as an American, that's a very cool idea. And I can understand that there's a good idea to that. I don't know that it's a biblical idea. And here's why I say that. I don't think, as I read the New Testament, they saw themselves as the moral compass of the Roman Empire. Roman Empire, this huge, oppressive machine that crushed everything that didn't immediately comply and become part of it. I don't know that they saw themselves as the moral compass of the Roman Empire. They did see themselves as filled with God's Spirit and to influence every single person that God would allow within the Roman Empire. And you want to know what's fascinating? Cool story? The Roman Empire, ultimately, its own kind of issues, kind of attacks from without, pressure without, pressure within, it exploded and deteriorated, right? doesn't exist anymore, except for one thing. What is it? A church. The only thing left of the Roman Empire is a church, and it's actually still sitting there. We call it the Vatican. But I mean, that's, when you stop and think about the only thing left over, the Roman Empire, it's going to stamp out Christianity, the Colosseum, the persecution, all this stuff. And what's the one thing that survived? The church. That'll get you excited. So he'll convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It doesn't mean we won't be a part of being convicting through our lives, through our teaching, through the things we do. But understand, he's going to take care of that. He will guide you into all truth. He'll give direction. He'll speak what he hears from Jesus in Christ's authority. He'll declare the things that are to come. He'll glorify Jesus, and he'll take what is Jesus and declare it to you. That's what the Lord said of the Comforter. And then, uh, real quickly, observation, before we move on to some other things, uh, in 16.1, he says, remember what he said? I pointed out to you. He said, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Um, Sadly, some will actually fall away. Some will actually fall away. Some will follow Jesus. Some did follow Jesus, and some will fall away, and he's wanting to save us from that. He is warning people. He's wanting us not when the heat gets turned up, when the pressure is applied. He doesn't want us to fall away. He wants us to be aware. He wants us to know what we're dealing with. Understand, we live in a world that is, in our culture, is becoming increasingly unfriendly to Jesus. And it's like those who want to straddle these two worlds, the world, I want to be fully kind of grounded in the world and I want to be fully grounded in this Christian community called the church and I, I, want to, I don't want to have to compromise, I, I don't want to have to choose one or the other, so I'll just stay neutral, you know, we're Switzerland. And it's kind of like as they get farther apart, you're going to have to eventually, either you're going to fall, you're going to have to choose. And sadly, many people will choose. Remember Jesus said, Broad is the road that leads to destruction. A lot of people go there. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Few find it. And that's going to be one of the hardest parts as the heat is turned up, as more and more people feel the pressure and they have to choose, as the world makes them choose. Sadly, many among our ranks are going to say, no, I'm done. And they're going to fall away. And Jesus' prayer was that that wouldn't happen. Jesus' purpose for sharing this with us is, no, no, I don't want that to happen. I don't want you to fall away. See, what's interesting is we are now entering into what most Christians have had to deal with for their entire lives. In church history, we are leaving this little bubble that the United States has been in. And we're one of few kind of seasons and little slices of church history that have enjoyed what we've enjoyed it. Where we we have tax-exempt status because of the good we do to our culture. We, We have scriptures on the Supreme Court. We have scriptures, and we have references to God in our founding documents. I mean, we have enjoyed favored status. That's just re- really odd for Christians throughout history. 
And we are now entering into a time where that may end. And what we, instead of us being broken over that, oh my gosh, how can this happen? We need to remember Jesus in his final talk to his disciples before he died, told them this is going to happen. And so we don't need to be discouraged. We don't need to be like, oh, what did we do wrong? We don't need to have any of that. We need to say, okay, this is what Jesus said would happen. Let's follow Jesus. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, in this message called Hostile Environment, which is available right now on the media page at reallife.org. Just look for the series called Seven Days, where there you can even watch a video podcast of this message and series. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion to the message, Hostile Environment. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. And what he says when this begins to happen, and this is what I want to leave, leave with this morning. I want to kind of main point, big idea, whatever. Please write this down and keep it with you because this is what Jesus is saying. The secret to navigating persecution is experiencing the presence. I, I find it fascinating the way he goes back and forth between the persecution and the presence. That's not accidental. Jesus wasn't just kind of ADD and having a hard time staying on topic. He's intentionally weaving together a conversation where he's saying, persecution, but don't forget the presence. (laughs) Yes, there could be persecution. Don't forget the presence. Yeah, the world's going to do this, but don't forget you're not alone. You have the presence of God's spirit, my spirit in you. The secret to navigating persecution is experiencing the presence. Jesus was very plain. He said, the world will hate you. He didn't say they might. He said they will. I don't like that. That's not fun. But he said that's what would happen. And I think what's honest is we need to adjust to this reality. We need to adjust our expectations. We need to stop expecting people to get us and treat us really nicely in regard to our faith. You know, it's happening in America that certain people are experiencing types of persecution, economic, relational, some even maybe a little bit more. But honestly, when I'm talking to the guys from North Africa and I'm telling them about the persecutions happening in America, I feel a little silly. No, but these people, they had to bake a cake that they didn't want to. It was terrible. And the guy whose friend had his head cut off is sitting there looking at me going, really? There must have been flour on their hands for days. It was terrible. It's really bad over there. We'll pray for y'all. Okay, the sarcasm is mine, not theirs, okay? They don't do that. But, I mean, stop and think about it in, in retrospect. Think of, think of it in, in context around the world. 
It doesn't mean it's not serious. It doesn't mean it's something that we shouldn't pray about, something that we shouldn't take very seriously, and something that we shouldn't be very intentional in how we respond. Because what it means is, man, we haven't suffered to the point of shedding blood, to quote the scripture. But some have. See, the secret to navigating persecution is experiencing the presence. A couple things Jesus says that I think are really helpful and important to us. Um, first thing, his presence changes us. He says, yeah, the world hates you because of me, <laughs> because you're not of the world. You're of mine. You're of my name. That's what Jesus said. That's why Romans 12, 2 said, don't be conformed. The alternative, the, the thing he says instead is be transformed. The presence of Jesus should absolutely transform us. God's spirit in us should change us. It makes us different. And and I just want to be real plain here. If we're not different, we're not filled with the spirit. And I know that's kind of hard. Sean, you're judging us. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you what the scripture said should happen when we're filled with the spirit. We should have a different outlook on life. We should have a different leader. We should have a different set of expectations, goals, how we proceed in life because of his presence, his spirit in us. If we're not different, I'd suggest we're not filled. You see, his presence changes us, and that's really the problem, isn't it? It puts us at odds with the world. We're following a different leader. We have a different authority. The world doesn't like different authorities. The world wants compliance. They want us to, they want us to conform to the pattern. And we have a totally different leader. We're following Jesus through his spirit. And understand something, that naturally creates conviction. Because understand, the spirit is working. Nobody's neutral. What Jesus said, the spirit goes out and he does convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Right? You believe Jesus? That means nobody's neutral. So don't take it all personal of someone if your Christian stance or the way you choose to respond because you're following Jesus. If that bothers someone, don't be all like, oh man, why are they being mean to me? Because it's not neutral. Nobody's neutral. They are experiencing conviction of the Spirit, just like you and I experienced conviction of the Spirit before we were believers. And certain things can set that conviction off. You become the embodiment of the Spirit's conviction. When you live in the love of Jesus, when you walk in the life of Jesus. It changes us, and don't expect everybody to like it. He will convict. He changes us. The secret to navigating persecution is experiencing the present. Second, his presence will be our guide. And this is the good news, kind of. You're not going to be alone. He talks about the helper, the comforter. He's going to bring encouragement. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to lead us. He's going to speak what he hears from Jesus, and he's going to share it with us. He's going to show us things to come. I just want to say, his presence will be our guide. He will tell you what to say, and he will tell you what to do. You wonder, how would I respond to this? What do I do if it happens to me? What, what if this church... What? Good news, Jesus said. He said, when they bring you before courts, when they bring you before governments, don't worry about what to say. Remember what Jesus said? The Spirit will be with you. He'll tell you what to say. And you're like, well, could he give me a, like a little memo or something first? So, I can kind of rehearse it. I'm not great at public speaking. Just a little, little help, some, some talking points. See, that's what we're looking for. We want the talking points because we're still wanting to win through laws. We're still wanting to win through, through legislation and through government. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, but guys, lawyers are not going to win this thing. 
Lawyers are not going to win this because when you're talking about a system that will change the laws, this is not one we're going to win, win with, with lawyers. We're not going to win with apologetics. There's got to be something different that happens. He will tell you. He will show you what to say and what to do. That's what Jesus said. So when you come into that place, you feel like, wow, this, man, Lord, I don't know what to do. For Kelvin Cochran, the Spirit will speak to him about what he's to say and what he's to do. The Spirit will use that situation to bring about his purpose. Because the secret to navigating persecution is experiencing the presence. That's what Jesus is saying. And last thing, his presence will make us overcomers. Here's the good news, okay? His presence will make us overcomers. At the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 16, okay, we read about middle of 15 to middle of 16. You fast forward to the end of chapter 16, look what Jesus said. Remember what he said at the beginning of 16? I said these things so that you wouldn't fall away. Now he wraps chapter 16 with kind of these bookends of why he said this. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Well, Jesus, what you've just been sharing with us isn't very peaceful. Listen, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In other words, he wins. In other words, we are on the side that is going to win. But what I find fascinating is, is he says, I've said these things that in you, in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to remove all the tribulation, and so then you can have peace. That's when you'll have peace, when all the tribulation is gone. He's saying, no, no, in this world that will persecute, it will hate you, there will be tribulation, trials, struggles. In that world, you're going to have peace, because I'm going to be with you. He's not saying I'm going to give you, it's not when you escape or someday in glory, whatever. He's saying right now, I'm going to give you peace. In the midst of that world that speaks tribulation. Why can I do this? Because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And that is the context of the world system. He will overcome. And the way I've done that is by giving my life for you and putting my spirit in you. He talks about something that is so important. And it seems like this is God keeps bringing this up to me this week. And like everybody who would listen, I've been talking to him about it. It's this idea of the glory. Look what he said. This was 16, verse 14. It says of the Spirit, he will glorify me. That's what Jesus said. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify Jesus by taking what is Jesus and putting it in us and giving it to us. And he's glorifying Jesus. In other words, he's taking the glory of Jesus and he's giving it to us to be a part of us. Look what Jesus prayed in John 17, next chapter. It's called the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying. Look at these parts that he prayed. This is really important that we see this part. I do not ask for these only. He's praying. He prays for his disciples, prays for the ones that God had given him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's all the generation of Christians to follow. In fact, today, if you believe anything was said, it's because of his word. It's their word. They wrote it down. We quoted John, we quoted Peter, we quoted James. So Jesus said, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, us, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Listen, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world 
may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. It's that part about the glory. You see, publishing is not going to win this. Writing better books. Publishing is great. And I, I think great books are a gift. Good apologetics and arguments, lawyers, legislation, lobbying Washington, none of it's going to win it. His plan is that his spirit in us would manifest his glory in us. Imagine the power when the world, instead of hearing great convincing arguments, begins to just see the glory of God in us. What does that look like? In our responses, in our behavior, in our love for one another, even if they don't understand, even if they don't believe even, but the glory of God, it's hard to deny. You remember when Moses left the presence of the Lord and he came off the mountain and the glory of God was still all over him. They couldn't even look at him. Imagine Jesus just said and prayed, Father, the glory that you gave me, I've given them. Imagine when we become people who are so filled with his presence that we reflect his glory in our work, in our decisions, in our jobs, at our kids' baseball games, everywhere. We reflect the glory of Jesus. That's how people are going to be won. That's how the kingdom is going to be built. That's the secret to turning the trajectory of the church in America around. Lord, let your glory be in us. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Hostile Environment or this whole series on the final seven days of Jesus' life before the cross, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, we hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.